0: What's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Mario Sacasa. Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage, and I pray that you are having an amazing day today. Alrighty, listen, I am pumped because today I have something very special for you. Over the next three episodes of the podcast, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Instead of having a guest and doing a typical interview, I want to share with you my lectures on hope. These are deeply personal lectures where I dive into my own struggles with hope and how hope has led me out of burnout and depression. I truly believe hope is a misunderstood virtue and I'm seeking seeking (laughs) to correct that now. The first lecture, this episode, what you're getting right now, introduces the series and dives into the psychological research of hope. If you're a regular listener of the show, you know that I love to integrate faith in counseling and what you're about to get is a full helping of that in this presentation and of course in the next two. So stay tuned, those next two lectures will drop next week and the week after that. So we're gonna go weekly for the next three weeks so we can get this series out into your hands so they can bless you and encourage you. And lastly, I just wanna say this, a quick note. These lectures were delivered at Good Shepherd Catholic Church in Tallahassee, Florida in February as they're part of their Lent mission. Well, it was their Lent mission. But I don't want any of those particulars to get in the way of your experience of these lectures. Nothing I'm saying in them is particular to Good Shepherd or to Lent per se, because I know that this message is something that's universal. So regardless of where you are, regardless of where God is finding you today, I believe that these lectures will help you. And finally, yes, I do reference some slides throughout the presentations. They're not necessary for you to have to see them, to to engage and to get something out of it, that's okay. But if you are interested in in watching those or looking at those, I'll have a PDF version of those available for you in the show notes. So you're fine just to listen to it in your car, wherever you are, just just driving, that's fine. But if you do want to watch, look at those slides rather a little bit later, certainly feel free to check those out. Okay, long intro today because I got a lot for you. So sit back, relax, enjoy the lectures, and here we go. Lecture one, hope as a, as a, <laughs> lecture one, <laughs> me get my lectures wrong here. Lecture one, hope as a psychological trait. Here we go. Welcome, everybody. It is a sincere pleasure to be here again. Um, as Father Foley said, I was married here in this altar 18 years ago to my beautiful wife, Kristen, who received her, fir- her confirmation here, First Holy Communion here, and baptized maybe in, across the way before the church was actually built. So um, so we, we're a long time committed to this parish, um, and it is an awesome opportunity to be here so in many ways, it's a homecoming, and I have the opportunity to be able to share some reflections, really, you know, of, of what I've learned over these last few years when it comes to this, the supreme virtue of hope. It's funny, you know, we, we've heard many, many times St. Paul's brilliant exhortation, you know, the love is patient, love is kind, love endures all things, it bears all things, it hopes all things. And he ends that great passage in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 13 specifically, when he says what? That faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. Amen. The greatest of these absolutely is love. We need love deep within our hearts. But so we understand, you know, what it means to love. What does it mean to love? Well, we give of ourselves. How do we grow in our capacity to love? Well, that means we have to make sacrifices. We have to grow in Christian charity of our neighbor. We have to be able to love our enemies and get up in the morning and and make that cup of coffee for our beautiful bride, even when she's not so beautiful at six o'clock in the morning. We gotta change those diapers. We gotta do the dishes. We gotta make the sacrifices that, that we need to make out of love. We know how to exercise love. Even if we don't always exercise it, we know how to exercise it how do we grow in our faith? Well, we go to beautiful things like this where we learn, we're being edified, we read books, we listen to podcasts, we listen to to talks, we we follow great speakers, you know, people, not like me, but other people who are really good at what they're doing, you know? So you can grow in your faith and you can understand what it is that that God wants of you in your heart and your life. You pray, you put your nose in scripture. Those are the things that you do to increase your faith. What about hope? What do we do to increase hope? How do we approach hope? How do we exercise hope? How do we experience hope? Authentic Christian hope. Not just the willy-nilly stuff. Not the cheap stuff. The cheap stuff, the cheap counterfeits. That's not what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the good stuff. That's what we're going to be diving deep into this weekend. And that's my goal is to say that, yes, while absolutely it is important for us to understand that, for sure, love is the greatest of the virtues, but hope genuinely leads the way. We give of ourselves sacrificially in love because we hope, right, that some God is noticing. And not just that we get these merits, but we hope that this love is efficacious. We grow in our faith so that we hope that we can be able to to exercise these virtues, this this understanding in, in our lives, So, as I've said already at all the masses this weekend, I just want to kind of lay this out for you. I'm a therapist who likes to integrate my faith into my counseling practice. I I approach all that I do from this integrated perspective. And so you're going to get this integrated perspective over the course of these next three nights. Tonight, we're going to lean a little heavy in the psychology of hope. Now, again, integrated means that they can't be separated, okay? So as we, even as we lean heavy in the psychology of hope, we're going to still be talking about the faith. But tonight, we're going to be talking about that, the psychology of hope. What does the science have to say about hope? What does psychology have to say about this, this, this trait, this emotion that exists? And then tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about the theology of hope. And what does that mean? Where, where, how do we grow again in this and understand with great kind of clarity what the church is giving to us, what scripture is giving to us when we talk about hope as a theological virtue. And then on Tuesday, we're gonna pull this thing together and we're gonna talk about the application, the power of hope and how we can genuinely grow and exercise this in our lives. So before I go any further, I generally just wanna share a story here. All right, why does this matter to me? Why does hope matter to me? Well, I would say in my life, I've had two major crises of faith. Two major moments where you're just kind of like, you know, those, you know, I'm talking about those moments where you just don't know what's up or down anymore. And you're kind of like, all right, Lord, I thought I was following you. I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. And then bam, the bad thing happens. The bottom drops out and you're like, whoa, okay, hold on a second. What's going on? You know, anybody know what I'm, am I the only one who's had these moments? No. Okay. I hope not. All right. Great. Praise God. You know what I mean? You have those moments where you think your life's going pretty good and you feel like you're standing strong and all of a sudden you just get sucker punched right in the face. You're like, whoa, okay see a little stars, and you, know, you kind of get back into the ring. You're like, all right, what's going on? I just got to figure this thing out, right? So I've had a couple of these moments in my life. Most recently, the past couple of years, it really started to, to affect my, my, my profession. It was really kind of around um, poor boundaries that I had set at work, and, and I started to experience professional burnout for the first time. And everything that accompanies burnout, compassion fatigue, um, doubt, uh, is anything that I do worthwhile? Does anything what, that I do matter? Does this just feel like I'm not effective anymore as a therapist? You know, nothing that I do really matters or helps. There's not help in anybody. It's all junk. You know, it's all just—I I can't say what I want to say because we're in the presence of, you know, the Eucharist right here. But you know, like—but you know what I'm trying to get to? You just feel like these moments where, like, man, it just everything just stinks. And then I started tasting despair for the first time and cynicism. cynicism cynicism's a son of a gun. You ever been cynical in life? Man, that's awful, awful. What an awful feeling. And so I started experiencing all of this for the, really for the first time in my life. And as that, those negativity was, was really setting in, then it bottomed out and then it turned into depression, which is another thing. And so really started to just really start to, to have bouts of, of, of depression and different experiences. And it's really hard to be an effective therapist when you're the cynic in the room. You know, it's really tough, you know, because people come to you and they're like, man, you start telling you their problems. And you're like, oh, you got problems. You know, <laughs> let me tell you what's going on in my life right now. You know, but you can't say that. Right. Because they're paying you for your time and you're supposed to be professional. So you just kind of suck it up and just to help them the best that you can. Nevertheless, to start experiencing all of this. Now, if you know me by nature, I tend to be a little bit of an optimist. I tend to be a half Glass half full individual. So for me, for the first time in my life to be a glass half empty type person, that was a red flag. I haven't I've done enough work within myself to know myself well enough to know that that was a major red flag, and something was way off, and I needed to get recalibrated, and I needed to figure out what was going on, and that's what led me to this research. That's when I just started diving into. The, the field of positive psychology and, um, and hope theory specifically that exists within that. And then reading scriptures through this lens of, of what hope actually is. And then slowly, slowly trying to piece these things together and get myself back on track in life. And I can say now a couple years later that here I am standing tall, you know, with my, with my head held high and, and, and have this opportunity to be able to share this journey with you. So, My hope, if I can say that, for you this evening is that we genuinely are doing this together. Everything I am going to share over the next three nights, I promise you, I have learned the hard way. Because that's the only way I seem to be able to learn anything in my life. I am hard-headed, you know? And I am learning, learning, learning how to be a better human being. And I hope by the end of all this, my life is done. I, I hope that I can say that I was. Okay. So let's get into this. All right. So what is... Psychology have to say about hope. Um, go to the next slide. Maybe I put. I just want to make sure I got this right. Nope. Go back. All right. Never mind. I'm just gonna leave it right there. Save something at the wrong place. Nope. No problem. Keep keep going. Actually, is is there one with leaves on it? Do you see the slide with leaves? Keep going. Next one. did I Put it in the wrong place. No. That's it. I put it in the wrong place. Perfect. No problem. Let's leave that up right there. So according to psychology. Um, Hope exists within uh, the realm of what's called uh, the, the positive emotions, one of the 10 positive emotions that we can experience in life. And these are them. So joy, gratitude, serenity, interest, hope, pride, amusement, inspiration, awe, and love. Now, why do we experience positive emotions? Well, we experience positive emotions because they're supposed to broaden our horizons. They're supposed to open ourselves up to, to, to finding solutions, to seeing that the world is good, to, to being creative, to, to experiencing all of this goodness. Now, the problem is that most of the, the, the problem is that these positive emotions tend to be real subtle, and they just kind of go by the wayside if we don't really pay attention to them. Because our brains, and I'm gonna say, talk more about this on Wednesday, but our brains are wired in a way to be more fixated on the negative in life. And there's an evolutionary reason why we need to be more fixated on the negative at times. Again, I'll talk more about that on Wednesday, on Tuesday, excuse me. But suffice to say is this, that the negative emotions, they grab our attention and they're only supposed to really be a short-lived experience, something that we just kind of get through and then we get on the other side of. And we just have to have a balance in life. I'm not saying negative in terms of it being bad, I'm saying negative in that it pulls us kind of into stress. Stress is, is good, okay? It has its place. Too much stress, obviously, we all know is not good for us. So how do we counterbalance that? We have to be open to the possibilities that there is goodness, open to the possibility that there is joy, that we can be grateful, that we can experience this, that we can have a sense of peace, a sense of serenity, that we can have interests in life, things that captivate our attention, that we can have hope, that we can be prideful in the sense, not in the sinful sense, but but we feel good about what we accomplish in life that we can have some joy, some amusements, that we can be inspired, that we can live in awe, and that we can live in love. These positive emotions we have to be more attentive to in our lives. So what then is hope specifically? If you can go back to that Shane Lopez, go back, there it is, perfect. So this is Dr. Shane Lopez, who I'm ripping off unabashedly uh, throughout this whole presentation. Dr. Lopez says this, he says, hope is the belief that the future will be better than the present combined with the belief that you have the power to make it so. Just think about that. Hope is the belief that the future, that tomorrow, will be better than today. But that tomorrow, that, 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 that possibility of tomorrow being better than today is contingent on you making that happen. That's hope, the ability to dream, to believe, to imagine, to think, to be creative, to have desire, to have energy, to to, to believe that we can actually do something and that it's on me, that I have some capacity to make my circumstances better, that it isn't all just relegated to everything that's happening outside. We have to contend with this for sure but that I have a certain domain of responsibility that is within me and that I have certain agency to be able to engage in this and engage in my life and to say that I have the capacity to make my life better. When we have that, we have hope. So let's break this down a little bit more. Let's go to the next slide. All right, so here we go. This is gonna be a four-parter here. All right, so first part, when we talk about hope, we wanna say that hope then is about goals. Hope is goal-oriented, as we just said. It's future-oriented. You want to know how hopeful you are, honestly? Spend a little bit of time thinking about your dreams, thinking about your goals. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm 40, and I'm still trying to ask that question. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still coming up with stuff. I'm still, you know, my poor wife, God bless her, she has to deal with my adhd you know, because every day I come up with a new idea, and she's like, okay, all right, you know. Like, yeah, that's what you think, you know, because I always come up with these ideas, and I want to get new things done, I love, I, love, I love having this energy, this kind of capacity to, to create new things. So part of my problem, though, is that I like discernment because I have so many goals in life that then I'm crushed by them because then I think I have to accomplish all of them right now. And then I don't have to accomplish all of them right now, but, but I feel that I do, and I put that pressure on myself. So sometimes having too many options, too many goals, can, can lead to a certain hopelessness. But if you have a certain dedication capacity to prioritize and wisdom to know what exactly God's calling you to do, which goal is God calling you to infect, to actually make, to come into being? Well, then now we're starting to get to a piece of that. So that's one. So you got to have a goal. You got to have a vision. You got to have a, a, a something that's going to that's get you there. Well, not only do you need to have that goal, you need to have some desire. You need to have some energy, some motivation to be able to go after that goal. And this is what psychologists would call the willpower. Willpower is that. It's about tenacity. It's about grit. It's about the, your, your energy, your motivation. You know, do you want to go get that thing? You want to go do that? You want to get pumped up? You want to go, go accomplish that goal? You want to go get that thing? You want to be successful? you got to have that belief inside of yourself to be able to go do that thing that you want to go do. You need that. You need some desire. You need some motivation. You need some willpower. You need some, some energy to be able to go do that. So that's that second piece of willpower. The third piece here, and this is kind of, these last year just kind of wonky terms, but you know, hey, psychology can be a little wonky at times, so that's okay. <laughs> just say that, as a professional, I believe that. Anyways, so way power would be the term that, that, that Dr. Lopez uses. Way power is, is agency, capacity, knowledge. Do you know how to go achieve that goal? So you got the goal, you got the desire, but if you don't know how to go do that, If you don't know how to go accomplish that, then you're going to be struggling in hope. But if you have the goal and you have the energy and the desire and the capacity and you have a way of being able to go accomplish that, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. See, way power is what keeps hope realistic. Because hopeful people know that achieving goals means that there are going to be obstacles along the way. So the way power actually anticipates the obstacles, plans for those obstacles, and then goes and continues to move forward. So this is where uh, sports fandom hope falls short. Why? Every year the football season starts and we all go, yeah, our team's going to win this year. It's going to be awesome. I want my team to win the national championship. Or I want my team to actually make it to 500, you know, Florida State fans in house anyways. Talking about. But that type of hope is folly because the reality is unless Mike Norvell is sitting in the audience right now, you know, none of us have the capacity to actually affect real change to our sports team. So it's good to have hope for sure for sports, but it's not real hope in the sense that I have no capacity. I've been a Florida State fan for all my adult life and I mean, you know, we've had more, you know, non-championship seasons over the last 20 years than we've had championship seasons. So I know mean, someone's got an Alabama fan right here, but we're not going to talk to him. So that's okay. It's all a big deal. It's all right. You can keep it on. It's all right. <laughs> Roll Tide. We're all good. We're all good. <laughs> all right. So the last piece then, we got our goals. We got our willpower. We got our energy. We got our motivation. We got our desire. Great. We got our way power. We have some knowledge some capacity of being able to make that happen. And now we need to have something called weight power. We need to have a little bit of patience. And this is where Dr. Everett Worthington has contributed to this hope theory. It's beautiful. In Spanish, the word for hope and the word for wait is the exact same word. It's the word esperanza. It's the word that we use. Estamos, tenemos esperanza, we have hope. Estamos esperando, we are waiting, we are hoping. The word is literally interchangeable. It's the exact same word that's used to describe waiting and hoping. It's a beautiful way to think about it. So, yeah, you can have desire. Yes, you can have capacity. But, man, sometimes, you know, things happen, and we have to kind of wait for the right opportunity to present itself. And that waiting is an integral part of hope. So what are our goals? What are our motivations? What are our desires? What's our knowledge base? What's our skill set? What are the things that we know how to do? And are we willing to have some patience to be able to make it happen? Some endurance, some grit, some tenacity, waiting. Not just chasing your tail after every little thing, together, all of this is what gives us hope. See, hope has a certain kind of stubbornness to it when you really think about it. Certain clarity and discernment to say, okay, God is calling me to this and I'm going to do what I need to do to make that happen. So we would say that all of these, the combination of all of this is what gives us hope. Nothing individually, combination of all four of those. So it is the patient man who has vision, or patient woman, who has vision and direction that brings success to life, that brings joy to life, that brings hope to life. So let's give some examples. Next uh, next slide, please. All right. Any Marvel fans in the house? A couple? All right. Not so many. Does anybody even know who this is? Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody Anybody recognize these people? No, that's me right in the middle. You know, that's, I'm just joking. I wish Captain America, man, that'd be awesome. All right, so this, this is a little independent film that came out a couple years ago. It made just like a couple bucks. It kind of went under the radar. Not a lot of people really understood it. Being sarcastic, it's like the highest-grossing film of all time. Uh, so what do I want to say about this? Well, I can say a lot of things about Marvel. I'm a big Marvel fan. I think they're they're brilliant in what they've done with their movies. They effectively turned films into a TV series. Uh, it's basically the way you have to kind of look at this. It's each film being its own independent episode. That kind of ties to a larger narrative. That's besides the point. not really sure why I'm saying all that. It doesn't really matter. So the point is this. We talk about Avengers Endgame. This little movie came out a couple years ago, and this is a direct sequel to the Marvel movie that came out right before it the year before. So it's 2019, Infinity War happened in 2018. Well, Infinity War, not to give any spoilers because I don't like giving spoilers because spoilers are are bad, they're bad, they're not good. But basically, the, the bad guy wins, okay? bad guy wins. And the worst thing that could possibly happen in in the lives of these superheroes, in fact, happens. The worst defeat, the greatest failure that they collectively and individually experience absolutely happens. And so this movie picks up right where the last one takes off. And they have to then ask this question. Basically, the question that they're asking is, what do we do? How do you overcome the greatest failure that's happened in your life? Why do you pick up the pieces? Where do you go from here? What do you do? And each one of the Avengers so beautifully answers this question differently. Some turn to pleasure. Some turn to revenge. Some pick up and keep going. Some let go. Some get despondent. Each of them asks this question in a different way. And it's beautiful because like, what good story is that we can see elements of us in, 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 in a good movie. And I love it, so I, I can see myself into a lot of these different characters. So, but every one of them has to ask this question. What do we do after this failure? So, but they all have the desire to still be successful. They all have the desire to still want to win. The willpower is still there, but the waypower is lacking. And then when the plan kind of comes into creation, if you've seen the movie, not to give any spoilers again, but once the plan comes into creation, they get hope, and you start seeing that. And you see that very deliberately being expressed by some of the characters. They say, You've, don't give me hope, basically is what he says, but, but, but hope is being given. Why? Because now the desire matches the capacity to fulfill that goal. We have the goal. We want to beat the bad guy. We all have the desire to do that. Don't know how it's going to happen. Now we know how it's going to happen. Bam, now we start having hope. That's why I think this movie is, is a wonderful treatise on, on everything that we're talking about right now. So... Let's bring this down a a little bit more kind of personal in my own life. I told you before, I have lots of crazy goals, lots of crazy ambitions and desires and things that I want to accomplish in my life. Well, I got my, my, uh, my master's in counseling in 2006. And as soon as I graduated with my master's in counseling, I knew that I wanted to go back for my doctorate. But I was crazy in that I did my master's in counseling with a newborn baby. My, my oldest son, Gabriel, literally was born three weeks before I started, well, five weeks before I started my master's in counseling. Uh, and then we moved to North Carolina. Like, so we, it doesn't really matter where we were. We started five weeks and my wife stayed at home those first two and a half years. So for when I did my master's, you know, I had an infant and I had a stay-at-home wife, which was, you know, a lot. We lived off of student loans, and, and those were lean times. What can I say? But they were beautiful times. But when I graduated my master's, I wanted to go back for my doctorate, and I knew that I, that I wanted to be able to finish my degree and, and get the full education. But I couldn't do it right out of the gates because my, I needed to go work. I got my master's because I can get my license so I can practice and get, get some work so I can make some money because I have family to take care of. So 2006 comes, goes, graduate. We moved back here. We we're in North Carolina. Moved back to Tallahassee here in 2007. Lived here for five years. 2012, we moved to New Orleans. where I had the. I moved because I was able to, to, to assume responsibility of some counseling clinics in the archdiocese. There will not be a quiz later as to where my life has gone. It doesn't really matter. The point is this. In 2014, the opportunity for me to go back for my doctor presented itself. I had the desire as I said all along, but it took eight years, that weight power we just talked about, eight years for the right opportunity to present itself. And I saw it, and when I finally saw it, I said, now's the time to go. I had a three-year window from 2014 to 2017 that I could get this thing done, because my oldest son was about to start high school and I didn't want to be doing my doctoral work while my oldest son was in high school because I just knew adolescence, he needed me home. He needed me to be able to, to, to help to some degree. So I had three years, small little window of time where I was like, we're going to get this thing done or it's not going to get done. So I did. So I stepped into that 2014, did my doctorate, working full time, doing my doc classes at night, raising my four boys because, again, history repeats itself. And five weeks before I started my doc program, it was just like it was my master's, had an infant son right before. It's crazy. It's crazy. See these gray hairs? Earned. They're all earned, every one of them. Every one of them, hard earned right here wisdom. That's what this is. But it's wonderful. It's an awesome opportunity. You know, When you think then about this, you say, okay, listen, am I going to do it? I've been wanting to do this, so am I going to do it? And the answer was, yes, I'm going to do it. So I did it, and that was it. Why did I do my doctorate? Well, I did it because at some point, I hope to be able to to get into academia and and, and to be a professor, if if that's where the Lord wants me to go. Again, all these crazy ideas and things that, that I have in my mind. But really, I did it because I wanted to sharpen my intellect, I wanted to be able to be a better writer, a better communicator, a better, a have greater capacity of assimilating large amounts of information and to be able to disseminate that and to communicate that clearly. So I did. So 2017, I graduated with my doctorate, and it was awesome. I'm telling you, it was awesome. My kids were there at my defense. My wife was there at the defense, and, w- and when they said, my, 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 my committee, when they said, you know, congratulations, Dr. Mario Saccaso, you have successfully defended your dissertation. My wife was in the back, and she had shirts made for the boys, and they were all put on these Dr. Mario shirts, you know, the, the video game, the cartoon, Dr. Mario. They all had these shirts on that said, Dr. Mario, you know, like we love Dr. Mario. And my kids were there. It was awesome to share this accomplishment with my boys was really just an amazing, amazing experience. If I had done it earlier, they would have been too young, and they wouldn't have been able to participate in that. So it was really just an awesome, awesome opportunity uh, to be able to do that. So the, the completion of the doctorate certainly has, has opened up many doors um, for me, which has just, just been a gift. So again, we talk about having a goal. Had the goal. I wanted to do the doctorate. Wanted to have the, the, the energy. Always had the energy to desire for that, the way power. The willpower, well, I mean, sorry, the willpower, the way power, it took a little bit for that to present itself. You know, most doc programs, if you don't know this, you got to sell your soul to, you know. And I wasn't going to sell my soul to any program because I knew I had a, a family and I had to work. I couldn't just be a doc student for, 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 you know, for three years. So I had to wait for the right program to present itself. And so I did. And then, you know, certainly the capacity to wait for, for that to happen. So all of those things is how we talk about hope. So that was one crazy goal, one crazy example that I've had in my life. I'll give you a, um, now let's keep going, let's keep going. All right, making sense to some degree, right? We're getting it, see? See how I keep reiterating both, it's a both and, right? We need the energy, but we 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 need the knowledge base. You can't just hope exists with both of these. Reiterate this, I'm gonna drive this point home over and over again, because the problem is this, we talk about energy. We talk about our desire. I want to, but then, but then how often we get deflated when we say, oh, but man, you know, it, it, it's never going to happen. Like it doesn't matter. Whatever I want, it's never going to happen. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. You know, I just got to stuff my desire because I stuff my desire because I, I, I don't go doing the work that I need to actually engage. And then what happens? And I blame everybody else. I blame it's the circumstances, I blame everybody, everything else, and then I deflect responsibility as to why I didn't do that one thing that I feel like God has put under my heart. This is really important. Scripture is full of tenacious individuals. So often as Catholics or as Christians, we tend to think that we must be on the passive side. and We don't always have to be. We have to engage. That great story of Abraham talking to God as they're walking. He's pleading with God. You know, even if 100 people in Sodom and Gomorrah are good, would you spare them? And he brings that number all the way down to 10. There were 10 good people in Sodom and Gomorrah because we know what happens. But that, But nevertheless, Abraham stood up to God and spoke to him with boldness. Holy cow. Jacob wrestled with God at night, paid the price for it a sore, sore hip the rest of his life, but nevertheless, it was there. God sometimes puts obstacles before us so that we can engage and engage. Why? Because we are not puppets. We're not little Pinocchios on a little marionette just kind of being strutted along in life. There isn't some predetermination that we're just on some care- conveyor belt rolling to some predetermined end for me. No, God wants you to live your life. And he has orchestrated events so that we can all live and be together in this moment in time and in history. And you have to seize the opportunities that are presented before you. But we have to be connected. We have to be knowledgeable. We have to have some understanding of what it is that God is calling me to do. And am I willing to be faithful to that? Am I willing to be tenacious to make that happen? Am I willing to be, to take responsibility and to learn what I need to learn? Am I willing to wait for the right opportunities and to know when those opportunities happen so I can engage in them? That is what it means to live with hope. See, the story of Abraham is what? That that God promised him, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. When Abraham dies, how many kids did he have? Two, right? How much land did he have? Burial plot, his wife, that was it. But that was a promise that was given to him. So Abraham still died with hope, with belief, that God's word would be fulfilled. So he did his part. Not perfectly, we know he fell a couple times, but he did his part to the best that he could. See, God's not asking us to be perfect. God is asking us to give our best and he'll never ask more than what we're capable of giving. And so sometimes the struggles happen because it's a testing, it's a purification, it's a growing, it's a stretching. And sometimes we need that stretching Sometimes we need that. It's like working out. You know, your muscles are plastic. When we talk about plasticity, not just neuroplasticity, but, but muscles. Why do, why do your muscles grow when you exercise? Well, because you're literally ripping them is what you're doing. You take that, you know, I mean, I'm not curling 50 pounds. You know what I mean? I'm just like the little 25 pounder if I, on a good day. You know, I can get that sucker up on my biceps, right? You know, you get that baby up and you feel good about yourself. The next day, you're all sore and you're like, I can't move. Why can't I move, you know? You can't move because you just literally shredded. When we talk about shredded. We say that jokingly, but literally, it's what you did to your muscles. And then as your muscles heal, they heal in a way that they're growing because they're growing in their capacity to bear that weight that you're giving to them. And such is it with us in our lives. We face these challenges because we need to sometimes grow in our abilities to to be um, better, to be the people that God wants us to be. You want to be the best version of yourself. We all do. It's not going to happen by happenstance. It's not. We have to engage in life, all of us, all of us. Next slide. So there are four beliefs that kind of underlie hope. first one is this. The hope is about possibility. Awesome. Awesome. See, if things are 100% certain of failure, we would say, yeah, that's hopeless, (laughs) right? Dante's Inferno. what's What's the phrase that's put as you're crossing into the deepest part of hell? It says this, cast all ye hope all who enter here. Beautiful. And what's the image of the people who are in that center of hell? They're frozen. It's not hot. They're frozen. Why? Because there's no possibility. There's no movement there's no energy. That's what it means, right? When you're frozen, there's no energy. Your molecules are, aren't moving anymore. That's what the deepest pit of hell is. That's what it means to be hopeless. So hope is about possibility. Yet we would also say if there's 100% success for something, you know, that really, that thing isn't really hopeful either. It's not really what we're talking about. So I like to play basketball. I, I love going out with my boys shooting hoops in the driveway. Now I have a six-year-old. We play basketball. It would be an erroneous statement for me to say, well, I hope I can beat my six-year-old in basketball. I hope I hope I can beat him someday, maybe. Yeah, right. He's little. You know, I can beat him anytime I want. But I don't because, you know, I'm a good dad. You know, I want to make sure he builds up his confidence and learns how to be a better man. So, you know, I don't say that. That would be a nonsensical statement to, to proclaim that to the world. I hope I can beat my six-year-old in basketball. I got a 100% success rate on that. You know what else is equally nonsensical? I hope that if I was to play LeBron James in one-on-one basketball, I think I could take him. Yeah, right. That would be ridiculous. No, no, no. 100% failure rate. If we played basketball 100 times, he would beat me 100 times by 100 points. You know what I mean? Like, it would be that bad. So no, I wouldn't say I hope to beat LeBron James in basketball. Because hope then is, exists, again, in this context of possibility. It's about possibility. And so because of that, it requires, it makes us, it's a vulnerable process, but more on that in a second. Next thing is this. Hope is realistic. Hope is not wishful thinking. Not just some blind trust. It's not just some Pollyanna naivete. And that's the way we always think of hope, man. And it drives me freaking nuts. I hope to win the lottery. That's an awful plan. That's it. If your wealth is contingent on you winning the lottery, it ain't gonna happen. Awful, awful. You know? And I just hope, you know, this thing's kinda work out or whatever. You know, you just kinda get all passive about it. No, 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 no. See? It negates, if, if, if hope, hope, as I said, is realistic. And when you are engaging in, in that context of learning what it is that you need to do to complete the goals that you want to, you are planning for obstacles along the way. You're anticipating them. You're recognizing that it's going to take some real challenges that you're going to have to overcome. So hope is realistic. It takes all the challenges into consideration. All the challenges that, of course, that, that you are at least aware of. So good friend of mine uh, recently um, uh, lost his wife uh, to cancer, Um, Elise Angelette, rest in in peace. Six years ago, seven years ago, she was diagnosed with with breast cancer. And now it's easy to say, well, you know, like they knew where the journey was going to go, but they didn't. One of the things that was really beautiful about walking with them over the course of those six years from her diagnosis to her death is that they lived in this realism that they just listened to what the doctors told them. They recognized that there, were some, there was a long list of treatments that were available to them. And they checked every single one of those off the list. They didn't go too far into despair. They didn't go too far into kind of a Pollyanna naivete. They kind of existed right in the present, right in reality. Reality as it presented itself to them. And so they did the work that they could do, all the while trying to still be faithful. Faithful to, to, to what God had put before them. And in, I mean, she suffered for sure, but they lived it, they lived a life as well as anybody as I could imagine because they recognized that there was a certain realism to the way that they approached her treatments. And they still lived, they lived life to the fullest. They still did many of the things that they were able to do that they wanted to do, but never at any point forgetting that you know the cancer was there or that it would just kind of magically go away. Now, if God wanted to bring the miracle, of course, they would have been open to receive the miracle. The miracle never came. And, we're, and over time, you kind of come to understand, well, why does God allow these things? That's always the biggest question that we ask in times of, of, of despair and in challenge. Over time, God answers those questions, I, I believe, going back to that concept of waiting. We wait on the Lord. Okay. So third piece here is that hope requires courage. You know, I said this earlier, but like, when you like, I mean, when you state a goal, you genuinely commit yourself to something. You say, I want to go do X. You genuinely commit yourself to committing whatever that thing is. Well, then you start telling people. And if, you're, if you want to commit a goal that's really going to force you to grow, then you want that goal to be just a little bit outside of your reach. You don't want it to be so lofty that you can't quite attain it. But you don't want to be so little, again, possibility where it doesn't require much effort. It's got to be somewhere where it's just kind of out of your reach, where you got to have to engage a little bit and you kind of grow. And then you achieve that goal, right? And then, and then you move on to the next one. And now the next one's just a little bit out of your reach. And, and, then, and then you move into the next one. And the next one's just a little bit out of your reach and you grow. But every time you set a goal in life and every time you move towards accomplishing those things, it requires some courage, some capacity, some, some desire to be able to say, okay, I'm going to do this. Because when you commit yourself and you start telling people, it's like, OK, this is really going to happen. Am I really going to accomplish this? And when you tell people, now you're being held accountable to it, because everybody's going to ask you. Facebook, and be like, hey, how's that New Year's resolution going? Well, you know, that, uh, that diet isn't, isn't, isn't going too strong anymore. That's OK. But we have to, we have to, we have to commit ourselves. But like I said. The concept of, of this being a, a, a goal is just kind of outside our reach means that these things require some vulnerability because there's always a possibility of us failing and nothing drums up our, our sense of shame or worthlessness like failure does, but we still want to continue to move forward in life. So another example that I'll say with regards to, to, to courage here is Like I said, I have a couple crazy kind of checklists in my life of things I wanted to do. Another one that I did last year, I was able to accomplish right before the pandemic happened was uh, uh, I wanted to run a marathon, ran my first marathon last year. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, awesome. buddy of mine recently said, uh, you had nothing better to do than run for four hours. You know, I said, actually, no, I, I didn't, you know, because I really wanted to do this. This was another one of these kind of crazy goals that I wanted to accomplish in life. This one was even longer. I wanted to run a marathon since I was 17 years old. It took 22 years to make that happen, but it happened. It was a very vulnerable process. If you know anything about marathon training, you never actually run the 26 miles until the day of the race. That's nuts. The longest run that you have before the race is 20 miles. 20 miles alone is nuts. That's nuts. But then you have another six miles you still got to do on top of that. That's crazy. That didn't do all that until the day of the race. So the race day comes. I'm like, all right, I I just have to trust my training is what they say. Trust that you put in the miles. Trust that you put in the work. Trust that it will happen. And it did. I crossed that finish line four hours and 22 minutes averaging a 10 10 minute marathon mile throughout the 10 minute marathon pace, which isn't super fast, but not super slow. Kind of all right. I was happy with that crossed that finish line. Man, and I cried my eyes out. It was just like I felt like when I completed the doctor. Kids were there again. It was awesome to celebrate this great accomplishment with them. And it was really just a tremendous, tremendous experience. But all the while, courage. See, courage happens in the context of, of, of vulnerability, of fear, of moments where we say, do I really have what it takes? Am I really capable of accomplishing that which I think God's asking me to do? That question is a healthy question to entertain because as we continue to push forward within our doubts, we overcome our fears, we engage, we grow in our capacity to be able to grow. That's what I've been saying. I continue to say that, but that requires courage. So this is why real hope, authentic hope is battle-tested. Battle-tested. Let's go to the next slide here. Great passage here from St. Paul. Therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him through whom through whom we have gained access by faith to this grace in which we stand and we boast in hope of the glory of God and here's the kicker he says not only that but we even boast of our afflictions knowing that affliction produces endurance and endurance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We boast of our afflictions. Why? Because those trials, those moments, those times that I felt afflicted in my life, they did what? They produced endurance. They produced a capacity For me to be able to live as God wants me to live. And that endurance did what? It shaped me. It formed me. It molded me. It helped me to grow. It didn't break me. I overcame it. I became a better person because of it. I grew up. That character, you take that with you. And nobody can take it away from you. And what happens then? That proven character does what? It gives you hope. Hope. So the next time those darn things happen, you can say, hey, I'm going to do this. It's going to be all right. It's going to stink for a little bit. But I know the process. I know of it. I know what's going to come on the other side of this. If I can hold on to that hope that God wants me to have, that hope, that is what St. Paul says is not disappoint because it's within you. It's deep inside of you. And nobody can take that away from you, no matter what happens next. Because we live it. We breathe it. We receive it. There's no sugarcoating the gospel. There's no circumventing the cross. We don't get to the resurrection unless we go through Calvary. We have to get up on that hill so that we can rise again with our Lord and Savior. These aren't just stories, brothers and sisters. This is experience. This is what we all have to go through. None of us, none of us, none of us are free from carrying our cross because our Savior did it. We have to carry it too. we boast of our afflictions. We look back on those moments and we say, praise Jesus. Praise God. I praise God for my burnout. How about that? There, I proclaim that. I praise God for being cynical for a short period of my life. Why? Because it took that for me to wake up, for me to learn, for me to grow, to start this journey that's led me to this moment right here so that I can be with you beautiful people in Tallahassee and to encourage you and to tell you it's going to be okay. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. It's heavy. It's heavy. I make no bones about it. I make no bones about it. But we have to we have to cling to hope. A real hope, an authentic hope. We have to continue to dream. We have to continue to open our eyes up to the possibilities. We have to continue to be creative in finding real solutions to the problems of this world. We are the Christians, we're the light of the world, we're the ones that are supposed to be finding solutions to what's going on. There's messes everywhere and no single person can take care and clean the whole thing up. We need a whole body, a body of believers, a body of creative believers, of innovative believers, who genuinely desire to find solutions to the problems that they're, that they're encountering right now, right now. So where does God have you? What questions are asking are you asking? What doubts are you struggling with? They're all OK. Doubt is not something that's antithetical to our faith, Rather doubt is something that compels us to grow in a deeper understanding of our faith. It's OK. You have questions about the church, it's okay. Ask them. Ask them. Go find answers. You have questions about what God's doing in your life, ask them. Go find answers. Go do it. Please. Because the opposite is giving up. And giving up is never a good option. Never a good option. So be sincere with yourself wherever you find yourself today. Trust that God is doing something inside of you. This is St. Paul. This is what he's calling us to. This is what he's compelling us to. So I end with this. Hope matters. It matters to your well-being. You'll lose it. You'll lose something. Hope is a choice. Never give that up. Never just think that it's just, you know, something that, that's out there. You have a capacity to choose Hope can be learned. You can learn. You can grow in, in seeing it and receiving it and being attentive to how it is. And it's contagious. You can give it. You can share it. You can encourage one another. You can love one another. You can support one another. You can offer genuine resources, material, knowledge, spiritual, all of it. We can help one another to overcome and to be able to, to achieve the goals and the dreams that God has for us. So, it has been a privilege being with you tonight. It is 830 on the money. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. Thank you guys so much for listening to it. Really, really, truly means a lot. I can't even tell you how how much it means to know that there are people listening to the podcast, to these lectures, and that I know that they're helping folks. And so if you have a comment or you would like to, to leave a word of encouragement or a question that you may have following this lecture, please find me on Instagram or on Facebook at Dr. Mario Sakasa. I'm very accessible and, and open to, to answering questions. I mean as much as I possibly can, I should say. But uh but please uh, don't hesitate to to find me on either one of those platforms to leave a question. But we'll get the next episode, the next lecture up next week on Tuesday. Again, it'll drop. So check that one out. Today was hope as a psychological traits. And then next week, we're going to dive deep into hope as a theological virtue. So catch you on the next podcast. God bless everybody. Be good.